chapter 5, verses 1 through 24. Listen to this message that I am singing for you, a lament, house of Israel. She has fallen. Virgin Israel will never rise again. She lies abandoned on her land with no one to raise her up. For the Lord God says, the city that marches out a thousand strong will have only a hundred left. And the one that marches out a hundred strong will have only 10 left in the house of Israel. For the Lord God says to the house of Israel, seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel or go to Gilgal or journey to Beersheba for Gilgal will certainly fall into exile and Bethel will come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, or he will spread like fire throughout the house of Joseph. It will consume everything with no one at Bethel to extinguish it. Those who turn justice into wormwood also throw righteousness to the ground. The one who made the Pleiades and Orion, who turns darkness into dawn and darkens day into night, who summons the water of the sea and pours it out over the surface of the earth, the Lord is his name. He brings destruction on the strong and it falls on the fortress. They hate the one who convicts the guilty at the city gate and they despise the one who speaks with integrity. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and exact a grain tax from him, you will never live in the houses of cut stone you have built. You will never drink the wine from the lush vineyards you have planted. For I know your crimes are many and your sins innumerable. They oppress the righteous, take a bribe, and deprive the poor of justice at the city gates. Therefore, those who have insight will keep silent at such a time, for the days are evil. Pursue good and not evil so that you may live. And the Lord, the God of armies, will be with you as you have claimed. Hate evil and love good. Establish justice at the city gate. Perhaps the Lord, the God of armies, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Therefore the Lord, the God of armies, the Lord says, there will be wailing in all the public squares. They will cry out in anguish in all the streets. The farmer will be called on to mourn and professional mourners to wail. There will be wailing in all the vineyards for I will pass among you. The Lord has spoken. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. What will the day of the Lord be for you? It will be darkness and not light. It will be like a man who flees from a lion only to have a bear confront him. He goes home and rests his hand against the wall only to have a snake bite him. Won't the day of the Lord be darkness rather than light, even gloom without any brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feasts. I can't stand the stench of your solemn assemblies. Even if you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will have no regard for your fellowship offerings of fattened cattle. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice flow like water and righteousness like an unfailing stream. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Lori, for reading that text. We're looking at another prophet. We've been in a series this Lent, 
called God of Justice. Our focus this season has been on the outward disciplines of Lent, acts of mercy and justice on behalf of the poor and the marginalized and the oppressed. And we've been focusing in on the biblical and the theological foundation for these acts. Here's the premise of our series. I've shared this each week that we've been in this series, and I want to share it again, and it's this. There is no true justice without Jesus, and there is no true Jesus without justice. Said another way, true and comprehensive justice isn't possible apart from Jesus Christ, and true and comprehensive discipleship isn't possible apart from justice. Now, I realize justice has become a fairly controversial word in our culture, and in our time, it triggers all kinds of reactions, some very positive, like, yes, that's what it's all about, and some negative or suspicious, like, no, I'm not sure I can get on board with that. But what we've seen so far in our series is that justice is a central theme in the Bible, central to who God is. Justice is what he loves, foundation of his throne, central to what God does. He delights in doing justice and central to what God calls and commands us to do. Today's text, Amos chapter 5, shows us a connection that I hope to explore and show you this morning between justice and lament. We could say that this chapter gives us a glimpse in how God feels about injustice. Now, there's one thing in life that no matter what's happening, no matter what's going on, how distracted we are, or what kind of conversation, even disagreement and conflict we're having with another person can stop us in our tracks and change the entire mood of the conversation. What is that something? It's when somebody breaks down in weeping and tears. You know, if you're in an argument with a family member, uh, a spouse, or one of your children, or a friend calls you, and you get into an argument with that friend, but all of a sudden, you see in their face, or you hear on the other line, tears. You hear weeping. You can be upset with someone. You can be totally distracted by something else, totally disengaged, but right then, when those tears happen, when you see those tears welling up, the whole mood changes, and it should, because right then, you know something important is going on. Somebody is hurting something very, very core to another person's being, and heart is welling up into the surface. So if God is lamenting, if God is weeping, it should stop us in our tracks. And Amos 5 is just this. It is God's lament. The first section of the chapter that we just heard read begins with lament in verse 1. Amos says it out front as the spokesperson of God. He says, this is my lament for you. That first section ends in 16 and 17. If you look at that, that section ends with mourning and wailing and weeping. Then the second section of the chapter in verse 18 begins with another lament as God speaks a woe over his people. 
So what I want you to see about Amos chapter 5 is that the entire chapter is a song of lament, a song of sorrow from God. This is a very powerful passage. For me, it's my first time ever really studying it and looking at it in depth this week. There is a lot here, which is why I'm going to ask you right now to pull your Bible out, get it up on your phone or wherever, because unless you have Amos chapter 5 memorized, if you know it well, then you don't need to do it. But in order for you to get what I hope you will get out of this message, you need to see it in the text. So get your Bibles out. There's no way I can cover everything, like I said, but I want to show you three things here in this chapter. One, when God laments. When does God lament and why? Two, when then should we lament? And then thirdly, where would this lament lead us if we were to enter into it? First, when God laments, scholars tell us that verses 1 through 3, they are patterned after a funeral song, a funeral lament. An ancient Israelite hearing this, this chapter would recognize it right away by its structure and by its form and by the phraseology and the wording used here. They would say, this sounds like a song we sing when we lose someone, when somebody has passed away. One scholar says here the Hebrew consists of, of language that would be like short sobbing, the short bursts of emotional sobs. And when we sob, if you've ever really, really sobbed or seen somebody sobbing, we know how hard it is to talk when we're really crying. That's what's going on here in verses 1 through 3. Let's look at it again. It says... Listen to the message that I am singing for you. A lament, house of Israel, she has fallen. Virgin Israel will never rise again. She lies abandoned on her land with no one to raise her up. If you look at verse 1, very simple point here. This is the message that I am singing for you. That I is God speaking. God is lamenting where his people are in the present. They are in a fallen state, verse 2 says. They have fallen they cannot rise up. And he laments where they're headed soon in verse 3. If they don't radically repent and respond to what God is saying through Amos, there will be judgment. Now, many of you, probably most of you, have been to a funeral or a memorial service. You know it is not a place for joking. It's not a place for entertainment or being casual. So what you wear, what you say, how you carry yourself, it's all done in respect. It's all done very solemnly, sorrowfully. It is a somber space. And friends, as we hear Amos chapter 5, we're entering into this somber, sacred, solemn space. This funeral lament means their relationship with God was not just a little bit off in need of some adjustments or corrections. No, this passage is about a dead relationship with God. It has died. And this would have been an absolute shock to the people who heard Amos preach this message. We need to know a little bit about the context of the book of Amos. Amos was this poor shepherd. He was from Judah, south of Israel. He was called to go north into Israel. So here is this man from the peasant class. He's called to actually go to the upper class of his neighbors, his brothers in the north of Israel during the time of Jeroboam II. 
which was a time of economic prosperity. It was a time of security and success, and most people thought things were going great. God was blessing them. God was giving them the good life, and they felt comfortable. And overall, they felt pretty confident in their theology, in their spirituality, in their spiritual state. And in, in uh, Amos chapter 4, 13, right before chapter 5 begins, Amos says, God is coming. Prepare to meet your God. And he says, here I am. But when God comes to them, what they meet, what they see, and what they hear is a God who is weeping, a God who is singing a lament. If we are Christians, if you're listening to this message as a Christian, you want to know God. Who, who is God? What is his heart like? And you encounter this passage where God is lamenting, a very rare thing in the Bible, very rarely are we told about God grieving or lamenting. And we should be asking, what breaks God's heart? What causes God to sing a song of lament? And the answer is here in verses 4 through 7. You see there, God is saying, seek me and live. Seek me and live. The obvious implication is, you think you are seeking me. You think you are alive, but you are not. If you were really seeking me, you would be living. You would be alive. But you are dying, which is why I'm singing you this funeral lament. So God is saying, here is the clear sign that you are not seeking me, that our relationship is dead. It is in verse 7. You are those who turn justice into wormwood and throw righteousness to the ground. Here we have it, friends. God is saying right here, he tells us this is the sure sign of a dead spirituality. It's what causes him to lament as if at the funeral of his people. It's when justice is turned to wormwood. Wormwood was the most bitter substance. It was a plant uh, used uh, for medicinal purposes. <laughs> like when you have to take medicine that you hate, that makes you want to you know, throw it up or spit it out. This is wormwood. It's so bitter. They've turned justice into bitterness, thrown righteousness to the ground, cast it aside like it was trash and worthless. God says here, you've taken my justice and righteousness. I've called you to do, and you flipped them around. You've overturned them. What I have called you to, my heart and command for justice and righteousness. So friends, given what Amos is saying here, I just want you to stop right there church family, Trinity, my Christian friends, I hope this has your attention. God is saying it is possible for people to think they are seeking him, that they have spiritual life, that have a good life, that are doing all kinds of religious things, as we'll see later in verses 21 through 23, who feel secure, but they are dying. They are spiritually dead because of their neglect of avoidance of, and contributing to injustice. What was going on specifically? Do we know? Well, verses 10 through 12 tell us. Now that it has your attention, what are the specifics of what was happening in this situation? Amos tells us how powerful and privileged people who said they knew God, who said, yeah, I think I'm being blessed by God, are treating the poor and weaker members of society. Verse 11, it says, you're trampling on them. Three times in the book, 
Amos uses this image of you're trampling on other people. You're stepping over them. You're walking over them as you go about your busy and comfortable lives. And it's a very graphic image. How is this happening? Well, as we see in verses 10 through 12, a lot of it was happening in the judicial system. A lot of it was happening in the economic system. There were oppressive taxes and loans, which at the time would result in slavery, where poor people were forced to sell their land, give up their land, to richer landowners who built nice houses, as we see, who grew their vineyards, and there was no way out of this. So the Old Testament laws about not charging interest to the poor, about leaving land for the poor to harvest on their own, about the year of Jubilee, when debts were canceled and ancestral lands were returned to the families, when you were called to give poor people resources to restart their lives, all that was being ignored. When does God lament? God laments when people who claim to know him, as verse 14 says, live in comfort, live in ease, go about their religious lives, believe they are blessed by God, all the while trampling and oppressing those who are deprived of justice. And when this happens, God says it's time for me to sing my funeral song. That's the first point. That is when God laments. So first God says, I'm here. Uh, prepare to meet me. I am singing this song of sorrow and lament for your funeral, verses 1 through 3. Verses 4 through 13 tell us why he is singing this song. And then the section ends with what they should do, verses 14 through 17. And you know, there's a tension here as we read these, these verses. And maybe you heard it when Lori read it. After, after God sings out this uh, funeral song of lament, he's also holding out hope for these same people. Let me look at that. Verses 14 and 15. There God says, pursue good and not evil so that you may live and the Lord, the God of armies, will be with you as you have claimed. Hate evil and love good. Establish justice in the city gate. Perhaps the Lord, the God of armies, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. So there is a funeral song, but in the midst of this song, there is hope. Even though there is such spiritual death, there's possibility of change, Amos says. God can be with us as we thought he was. God perhaps can still be gracious to us. Even though we've drifted so far from him, pursue good, hate evil, love good. But the way of repentance this reorientation God is calling for passes through verses 16 and 17. Look at those verses. Therefore, the Lord, the God of armies, says, there will be wailing, there will be crying out in anguish, the farmer will be mourning, professional, professional mourners will wail, there will be wailing in all the vineyards. There is just this intense lamenting of the people that happens. So the way to repentance, the way to change, somehow passes through wailing, lamenting of the people themselves. You know, what, what's going on there? There's a lot going on here in verses 16 and 17. What is it? It sounds like a prediction, or is it a picture of the future? 
The commentator Doug Stewart on this passage calls it a summons. He calls it, this is his term, proleptic funerary lament. It's hard to say that. Proleptic funerary lament, which means this. It means, what if you could see your funeral in the future? It's a very kind of morbid thought. But if you could dream of, if you could see your own funeral uh, and look ahead into the future, you see what people are saying. You see the end of your life and when your life ends. What would you come away from that whole experience with? Probably a lot. But definitely you'd come away from that experience going, what would I do different? If that's the end of my life, what would I do different now? That is what Amos is calling the people to do, and calling us to do. Hearing the lament of this future funeral has the power to change us, the power to bring life where we are dead, especially in the areas of justice and righteousness. So when should we lament? I'd like to answer this question based on this text in this way. We should lament for the same reason God laments here. We should lament when we see justice turn to wormwood and righteousness cast to the ground. We should lament, especially when we have believed we can seek the Lord and not seek good and not establish justice and not care for the poor in our midst. When we see, in the words of James, a faith without works is dead kind of faith in us. We should lament. We should stop in our tracks. We should ask, could this be a funeral song for me? Could this be a funeral song for us as the church? Friends, on the topic of justice, we need orthodoxy. We need a sound theology of justice, not from the culture, but from Scripture. We've been building that, I hope and pray, these past few weeks. We need orthodoxy. We need orthopraxis. As a lot of you have been saying to me, Throughout the series, let's do something about this. Let's go. Let's do stuff. We need that. We need acts of mercy and justice. But what Amos is showing me, and what I hope is showing you, we also need is orthopathos. We need right affections, the right heart, a broken heart, the right feeling, which is lament. Lament. We must learn lament. We must feel what God feels. We must have God's heart when we see the bitterness of life that results from injustice, when we see people tossed to the ground like trash because of unrighteousness. One author says, lament is the lost language for modern Christians. We just don't know how to do it. We've lost the ability to do it. Yet one-third of the Psalms are lament. There's an entire book of the Bible called Lamentations, right? It's written at the lowest point in the history of the Old Testament, the exile. God inspired for the people walking through this dark valley, this book, Lamentations. You know, it occurred to me this week that the book is not called Explanations. It's what people need who are hurting and suffering are other people who can lament with them. This applies to those who are being trampled by injustice. I came across a a quote this week uh, from a pastor. Actually, in Jacksonville, Florida, he pastors. uh, Where I grew up, his name is H.B. Charles Jr. 
He says this, we'll put this quote up on the screen. So important. The Bible calls us to weep with those who weep. It doesn't tell us to judge whether they should be weeping. Can we see this at a personal level? I think it's pretty easy there. If we have a friend, if we, if we have our spouse in our marriage, if we have our child who comes to us just weeping, just hurting, often a mistake we can make is we can offer an explanation or we can offer our advice. We can offer, well, you're just missing this information. We realize, many of us uh, who have made mistakes in our marriages and our friendships and our parenting, what the other person needs is not explanation or information. They need somebody who can sit with them in lamentation. I think we can see that at a personal level in our lives, but what about at a societal level? level. People with pain and poverty, people who have experienced racial injustice and hatred, sometimes the first reaction from Christians often has been, we want to judge whether or not they should be weeping or not. What has been offered to people who have expressed pain and hurt and tears over being treated unjustly because of their race, for example, What they have received is evaluation and judgment. Let me decide for you whether or not you should be weeping or not. This is far, far from the heart of Amos and the heart of God revealed in Amos. Lamenting requires listening, listening to people whose lives are bitter and who feel as if they have been cast to the ground. Listen to the words Amos uses about people like this. Trampled, oppressed, deprived, obstructed. Have you ever listened to the story of someone who has been trampled, oppressed, deprived, or obstructed, who has experienced these things? Maybe listening uh, to those words and you say, uh, those describe my story. And here's what I want to say, friends. God listens and God laments with people whose stories can be described by those words, and so should the people of God. That is when we should lament. When God laments, when we should lament, and lastly, where should this lament lead us? Where does it take us? I want to share three things about this, three places it should lead us. First, lament will lead us to Jesus Christ. It will lead us to him. If you've been convicted by what we've learned in the series, and I have, if we want to change, if we want to grow to do justice and mercy, if things that we feel like these parts of my life have been dead and they're coming alive, the word is doing something, I'm convicted. I want to be alive. What do we do? I want to suggest that our lament must lead us to Jesus. Let our lament lead us to him. Today's Palm Sunday is Isaac just wonderfully led us in the liturgy this morning. And I was reading this week, I noticed something about Palm Sunday I'd never seen before in Luke 19. Um, There's some of the stuff that we recognize in Palm Sunday. We recognize the palms. We recognize the praises, Hosanna, those shouts. We recognize people laying down their clothes and Jesus on the donkey. That's what Palm Sunday is all about. But right after that, as we read in our service, liturgy earlier, there is a lament on Palm Sunday as well. In Luke 19, Jesus 
rides through the crowds, and before he enters the city, it says he wept over the city. Why? Because he knew for them most of all this praise and all this religious fervor, it wasn't real. It wasn't alive. He knew what it meant, that they were dead. Amos the prophet, he came saying, prepare to meet your God, he's here. And Amos lamented over the rejection of God and the coming judgment. In Luke 19, Jesus came into Jerusalem to cries of, blessed be the king, the one who comes in the name of the Lord, he is here. And Jesus lamented, knowing their rejection of him. Jesus wept over those who were experiencing suffering and injustice and oppression. And he wept also over those people whose lives were hardened, who thought they knew him but didn't. And the eventual pain and suffering and judgment this would lead them to if they persist in their hardness of heart. Friends, as we've gone through this series, and here as we look at the prophet Amos, let me say this. If the warnings of Isaiah about justice, if, if those aren't enough, if the delight of God in doing justice of Jeremiah, if it hasn't broken through, if the requirement of God for justice in Micah hasn't quite hit you, if the confrontation of God in Malachi that we saw two weeks ago, it just quite hasn't broken through. Friends, let the tears of God in Amos, fulfilled in Jesus Christ, lead us to repentance and change. The gospel is we deserve a funeral. We deserve judgment. We deserve death. But what we receive by faith in Jesus Christ is a song of resurrection forgiveness, life. As we enter into the life of a Savior, the heart of a Savior who would weep over us, even where we remain hardened and cold and dead inside. As we run into his heart, our hearts are melted and we become alive. I saw um, another pastor say it so well in something I read this week. His name is Jason Meyer. I want to share a quote from him. He said, What other religion has a God who cried and bled for his enemies? How then can Christians settle for knowing the suffering of others from a safe intellectual distance? As we rest together at Calvary, receivers become reflectors. I thought he said that so well. In Christ, we can reflect to others the compassion we have received from him, the one who wept over us even though we were hardened, even over the places of our dead heart. Can we not weep with others and let that weeping and lamentation lead to listening and to serving them generously? This Holy Week, can I encourage you, as those who know what brought our peace, in the words of Jesus, his weeping, his suffering, and his death. Can I encourage you, bring it all to Jesus. Let him break your heart. Two more things. 
as lamenting leads us to Jesus Christ, it leads us to two, two more places. One, lament will lead us toward harmony in our differences. Uh, you may have heard this before, maybe said as a joke. We've joked about it in our family, in our house. If someone asks you, what's your favorite verse in the Bible? Well, if you get stuck and you get frozen, you're like, I don't know. I don't know if I know any verses. Well, there's always John 11.35, the shortest verse in all of the Bible. Two words, Jesus wept. Now, anyone can memorize that verse, but in light of what Amos says here, it's not a joke. You should memorize it. All Christians should know this verse and love it and treasure it. Why? Because it is the key. This weeping, this lamenting heart of Jesus is the key for us to work towards harmony in our differences in such a divided and broken and disagreeing world. In Romans 12, this is all about, um, this chapter is all about differences, all about disagreements, Romans 12. Paul says, weep with those who weep and live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, instead associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. This word harmony um, in, in the literal Greek translation means thinking the same thing toward one another. And we're having a hard time with that, especially in matters when it comes to justice, how that works out in the church, through the church, and through the church in our, uh, in our culture, in our communities. Paul says Jesus models lament, weeping with one another, is what can give us the path toward harmony in our differences. Another quote I saw from another pastor who said it so well. This is, this is what God has given to us. This is, he called it technology. This is our technology. It's from Pastor Thabiti Anyab Bile. He said, as it turns out, uh, our all-wise and all-loving God has given us in the Bible just such a technology, a way of talking with a built-in procedure and potential to help us express our feelings empathize with others, turn to God in faith, and by the Father's grace, inch toward a deeper experience of reconciliation. That way, that technology, that language is lament. Oh, that we would use this universal translator to commune with each other across our ethnic differences. Yes, ethnic differences, I would say, and any differences. We learn to weep with each other. And in that we find God leading us to reconciliation. Final thought. Lament will keep us or lead us away from dead obedience. The very end of this chapter in Amos 21 through 23, there's some strong language from God. He says, I hate and despise your feasts. I can't stand the stench of your solemn assemblies, like your church gatherings, your feasts. Even you offer me even if you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I won't accept them. I have no regard for the fellowship offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. What does God hate? He hates selective obedience and dualistic faith where we separate the spiritual from the physical and the word from deed. What does true and living obedience look like? But let justice flow like water and righteousness 
like an unfailing stream. I want to share a picture here as we close. This is a picture that's nearby where many of us live. We drive by it a lot. You can see there the big A uh, from Anaheim Stadium, the Angels Stadium. Uh, that thing next to it, that's a river, right? That's a Santa Ana River. And we look at that and go, nice river. There's no water in there. What's going on? And we know in Southern California, many of our rivers look like that for most of the year. Uh, but when rain happens and when snow comes to the mountains and trickles down, then that thing starts flowing. You don't want to be in there when that happens. It's the same in ancient Israel. They had the same weather phenomena happening. They have many dry riverbeds. They call them wadis. And a wadi is what is used in this verse here where uh, Amos says, let justice flow like water and righteousness like an unfailing wadi. Their experience in ancient Israel was these dried up riverbeds that only flowed seasonally. Only sometimes, God says, in this lament, he says, when you meet my broken heart, when your heart breaks, when you see the breaking heart of God who is willing to suffer and die in your place in the person of Jesus Christ, that move of our hearts breaking because of the grace, the compassion, and the gift of life in Jesus Christ. When it hits our heart, it moves us away from selective obedience. God was the one who said, do these feasts, give these sacrifices, sing these songs. But they were doing it in a way that separated those things, their religious observances, from the way they treated people. And God said, no, I want it all together. And this is the picture <laughs> Not a sporadic and a seasonal commitment to justice and righteousness, but a river that's always flowing, that's always rushing. This is the life. This is the result of the heart who has met the one who would weep, the one who would suffer, the one who would stand in our place. And friends, may it be for us. May God's lament, may our lament, lead us to Amos 5.24, where justice flows like water and righteousness like an unfailing stream. Let's pray that it may be so. Pray with me, Father. This passage where your heart is breaking and singing over people who thought they were alive, yet they were dead, I pray we would listen to it exactly how we need to. For some, it's a great encouragement that you don't forget those who are forgotten, who those who feel trampled and forgotten. For those of us who feel comfortable and secure and at ease in our faith, I pray, Lord, where our hearts need to break, you would break them, that we would weep, that we'd get further in touch with your heart and that it would move us out in greater obedience and faithfulness to do the justice you call for so that others might know the kind of God you are and the kind of Savior who has come for the life of the world. We pray in his name. Amen.